ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those that are with young. This is God's word. And in the words through Isaiah, Isaiah, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Lord, thank you for not just having a word which is preserved for us, but having having this word spoken in such a way that we get a glimpse of the work that you are doing among your people, both those in the Old Testament and for us today in this day. We pray that you would open the word to us. Help us to see it. Help us to be encouraged by it and to be drawn to Christ by it. Teach us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> the words that I read here are following a situation where um, it, it's immediate on the immediate. They follow immediately on the heels of a pronouncement to King Hezekiah in Israel of a judgment that the nation of Judah is going to face. Israel has already been removed from the north. It has been swept aside by the Persians. And bit by bit, the southern nation of Judah has been sliding into decline. Hezekiah himself unwittingly had opened the doors of the temple and the doors of Jerusalem to the Persians as they came, and he gave them gold, silver, riches from the temple. And so... God comes to, God says to Isaiah, Isaiah, go to Hezekiah and tell him to set his things in order. He's going to die. And Hezekiah pleads to the Lord and says, Lord, have mercy on me. And, and, and God sends Isaiah to him again to say, all right, 
Your life will be preserved. It will not happen in your day, but it will happen. That is, because of the ungodly conduct of Judah and because of the, the, the ill behavior of, of the people and the carelessness of the king, and Hezekiah's reliance upon mere human methods for his defense, this judgment is still going to come. It's still a long way off. God is, God is giving them ample warnings that they may repent. But right here in chapter 40, verses 1 through 9, there's a transition, a sudden transition. Because for 39 chapters, there has been this pronouncement of God's pending judgment, God's pending chastisement. And now he switches. And he switches and brings a word of tenderness, a word of comfort. In fact, right here, this passage represents a turning point. And from here on out, there will be one proclamation of God's grace after another to the conclusion of the book in chapter 61. So now the tone changes to that of tenderness and comfort. There are times when the Lord rebukes us firmly and strongly, and when he does that, it often feels very harsh. We prefer to think that we are okay, not ever realizing how much we fall short of his glory got into a conversation after Sunday school this morning, and really we've already committed enough sins this morning before we enter into worship to disqualify us from God's kingdom. It's already happened. It's the grace and the mercy that's given to us in Christ that God continually receives us as his own children. And so... When, when he rebukes his people, he never abandons them. He always holds before them this, this word of comfort, this word of tender, deep love that he will not remove from them. So now there's this word of comfort given to the Lord's people. The punishments will come. They will face that. But God now goes beyond that and says, so comfort, covenantal love, will still be given to you. And so this passage contains four voices that speak of God's covenantal love to the people. We're going to be hearing four voices. Now, we cannot exactly identify the voices that are speaking. In some cases, it might be Isaiah. In some cases, it might be, uh, it might be the Lord himself. But whether it's the prophets or the school of the prophets or whether it's Isaiah himself, <clears throat> we need to know this. The true voice that's coming through, the true voice that's speaking to God's people is the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Peter says, Second Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who still speaks through his word in this passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, Peter says, The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. 
it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Beloved, every time you open your Bible and begin to read, it doesn't make any difference if it's the Psalms or the Proverbs, if it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. God the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You can't read this like it's some other textbook, some other piece of literature. The Holy Spirit is actively proclaiming the truth to you so that you may be saved. Whether you read it or another person reads it, it's always refreshing to hear another person read the scriptures so that, uh, so that we might, be, might have our hearts really awakened anew by the Holy Spirit. It was a total refreshment to me to sit back and to hear Chris preach last week. It was just wonderful to hear the word proclaimed by another man. Holy men moved by the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ who's indicating what it is we need to hear. And so that word of comfort that we have this morning comes through four voices. There's the voice of pardon, the voice of transformation, a voice of promise, and a voice of peace. <clears throat> now, we, we must not hear these as a progression. Don't hear these as first pardon and then transformation and then promise and then peace. Don't hear it that way. These voices are all speaking together as though this is a quartet singing a beautiful melody. At one moment, a certain voice will come a little more prominently than another, but all four of them are speaking to us together at the same time. And we need to be able to hear that and understand it because all these voices are wrapped up in our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. All of them. This is the message of God's sovereign grace and mercy to us. So let's begin in verses 1 and 2 with this voice of pardon. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What warfare are we talking about? On the one hand here, if we're looking at the historical circumstances, it's really the war that's pending with Syria and Assyria, two different nations, by the way. Syria is to the north, and Assyria is, Assyria is to the east. These two nations, which are hanging out on the borders, getting ready to move in and to attack Judah. That's the warfare that's being spoken of. That warfare will result in their exile. That warfare will result in them being stripped out of the land and spread throughout the Gentile world because they refused to obey the covenant that God had given to them. It represents hardship. In fact, the word warfare is more frequently interpreted hardship than it is anything else, hardship or hard service in battle. Living with sin is warfare, and that's what this means for us. Because we still have sin in our members, because we still have sinful affections that need to be subdued to Christ, all of that represents warfare for us. It is warfare. 
is warfare with the world that sets itself against the principles of God and against those who would walk with God. It is warfare against an unseen enemy who hates God and hates God's people, those who belong to God. And really, it is warfare within ourselves, is it not? 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. When we indulge in just even the, the passions of the mind that start to think along routes or paths that are contrary to God's ways, it sets up warfare in our hearts. And so that becomes the hard service that we wind up bearing. Galatians 5.17 says that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Search your hearts. You know this, that in your own heart there are things you want to do that are against God's law. Those things arise. Those affections and those passions arise. And the Holy Spirit strives against them. And then there are times when you want to walk with the Lord and you really want to do what's pleasing to him. And your own flesh rises up and strives against the Spirit. And there's this ongoing battle as your flesh and your passions are subdued unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And this goes on your whole life. And the older you get the more deeply rooted you discover those passions and those sins are. It's not just war against our own soul or against the passions and the desires of others. When we choose to sin, we're at war with God. That's why Jesus says in Revelation 2.16, Repent, if not, I'll come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. So this declaration comes in the context of this pending war. What God says is that he's removed our warfare. He has removed our warfare in Christ. He has removed this warfare by completing the war for us. In our case, the Lord Jesus Christ has come, and as the captain of our salvation, he has done battle with the devil. He's done battle with the world. He's done battle with death itself, and he has completed the war for us. For you and me, the completion of that warfare in Christ was when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished. It's finished. What does it mean that they received double for all their sins? Sometimes we think that they've received twice as much punishment for the sins that they've committed. After all, they were removed from the land and they were spread throughout Persia. But what it really, the best explanation is found really in the public prayer of Ezra. Ezra, who came back with the people when Judah had been brought back from Persia and brought into Jerusalem. Ezra was a spiritual leader among them. He had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to teach the Lord's statutes and ordinances in Israel. So after that 70 years in Babylon, Ezra stands before the people, and in the midst of his public prayer, he says this, After all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, 
Lord, you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a remnant as this. Double for their sins because they have received mercy and they have received grace. You have received double for your sins, beloved. You have received mercy in that God has not given you your just deserts for the failings. He has not given me my just deserts for my willful sins against him. He has dealt with us mercifully. He has withheld his anger from us. He has withheld it and has not poured it out. In fact, he poured it out upon his son when his son hung on the cross. When he died for you and me, when our sins were accounted as his and he bore the punishment. But then the other portion is that God has given you abundant grace. Abundant grace in Christ. God looks at you in Christ and says, you're my beloved sons and daughters. In you I am well pleased. It's not just that God withholds his judgment from us, but he has also taken us and adopted us into his household, and he has given us that glorious status of sons and daughters. We are counted as his, and he's not going to let us go. If the Lord has, what is it that Jesus said? All that the Father has given to me, I will lose none of them. I will lose none of them. So this first voice that's spoken to us is the voice of pardon. The voice of pardon. God has pardoned your sins. He has removed them. He has placed them upon the innocent substitute and then punished them in the innocent substitute. And you and I have been placed in Christ Jesus and we are safe. We are safe and we are forgiven. He's extended to us mercy. He's extended to us abundant grace. That right there should be enough to flood our souls with love. And may it do so. Every moment of every day, may your heart be flooded with love for the Lord because of how he has taken that which really you deserved and removed it from you. And how he has given you far more than you ever deserved. The second voice that we see in this passage is a voice of preparation, a voice of transformation. Verses 3 through 5. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here you have a picture of someone preparing the road, smoothing the way for the coming king, the coming of the Lord. Here you have somebody removing obstacles and bringing down the high spots and building up the low spots. 
The best illustration I can give you is if you're driving on an expressway through hilly country and you can see how they have taken and they have carved out some of the high spots on the hills and they've used that soil in order to smooth it so that they can have an easily running road. And then they've taken some of that soil and they've filled in the low spots in the, in the, in the little valleys so that it's level and you can travel quickly. You can see where the soil and the rock from these nearby high places has been moved to fill in the little valleys. Well, this is what is true for the people of Judah. The very, the very things that made their road rough, the sins, the ways in which they were distracted by, uh, by the idols around them. Do you know that after their exile, the one thing that the Jews got into their mind, the Israelites got into their mind, is that there is one God. There's only one God. There's only one God. There's only one God, and you worship him. And you don't worship anybody else. There's only one God. They finally got it in their mind because of their disobedience. They were removed from the land, and God drilled it into their heart while they were in exile. They understood that that one God was everywhere, and that was their one hope while they were off in exile. And when they returned, they never swerved from that position. Never. So much so that when Jesus arrived and became clear that his proclamation really kind of included that he was God the Son, they rejected him. Because there's only one God. There's only one God. He's not to be seen, and we see you, and you can't possibly be God. That's why it was so hard for them. That's why it's still so hard for them. And it is a grace and a mercy to you that you and I understand that God is three persons, one God. Revealed in Christ. Christ was revealed first as divine before we understood that the Holy Spirit was God with the Father as God as well. Three persons, one God, revealed in Christ. But it took the Jews the longest time to get that. Those were rough spots that had to be smoothed, high places that needed to be brought low, low places that needed to be filled in so that the highway for the Lord could be made smooth into their hearts. It still holds true for us today. Very often we look at this passage and we say, this is the voice of John the Baptist in the days of the Lord's incarnation. As he said in John 1, verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. But it's also the voice of Christ to us. The moment that he preached, the time is at hand, the kingdom has come. Repent and believe the gospel. That was making the highway for the Lord Straight in our hearts. Repentance says, I have high spots in my life. I've got these things that I assert my own will. I am arrogant. I am too lifted up. And that's got to be humbled. But there are other places where I don't think properly about myself. I think improperly too low as to what I am as a human being and what I'm supposed to be before the living God. And that needs to be built up and strengthened so that the Lord has a highway into our hearts. Now, we need to be careful here when we say the voice of one crying in the wilderness, because on the one hand, there are some who hear this message, and they almost immediately interpret it in the sense 
of obedience to the law. I have to make this highway in the heart of, uh, in my heart as, as obedience to the law so that the Lord can then come in. As in, obey, by obeying the law, the Lord comes to the heart. That's nothing more than legalism. That's nothing more than legalism. It's not we who can actually change our hearts. The Christian version of legalism is mere moralism. I'll do things so God can bless me. That's mere moralism. Instead of recognizing that God needs to do an excavating work in our souls. Then there are those who will hear this passage as, well, you know, God's going to forgive me anyway so I can live like I want to until that takes place. Well, that's irreligion. That's, that's not even paying attention to the gospel as God gave it to us. And there are plenty of people who live that way too. You know, once saved, always saved. I'm okay now. I'm going to go out and sin till God decides to change me. No, that's atheism. That's irreligion. What God is saying here is that as he pardons our sins and ends our warfare and comes to dwell with us, and as he does so, he's writing his laws on our heart. We can no longer live like we, like, like we used to. We can't live the way that we want to live because we just want to indulge our flesh. He makes the road straight for us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, familiar to all of us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. We still must walk that path. We still participate in some of the later labor of smoothing it, but it's the Lord, the Holy Spirit, who is doing that work as he begins to show us our pride and how it needs to be humbled, as he begins to show us our secret sins and how they need to be subdued to Christ and our fleshly passions and our unworthiness and the mercy of the coming King who lifts us up. This is how the glory of the Lord, the covenantal God who will never take his love from us, how the glory of the Lord will be revealed. It will be revealed in us and through us. So the first voice is pardon, and the second voice is transformation. The third voice is the voice of unswerving promise. A voice says, cry. I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. The voice here of unswerving promise simply says this, reliance upon the flesh is unstable. Human beauty and human capability 
is frail and fading. How many of us think that we're spiritually effective because we're pretty? How many of us think that we're spiritually effective because we're healthy? How many of us think that we're spiritually effective because we're educated? That's human frailty. That's the flower of grass. When the dryness of the season comes, it doesn't make any difference whether it's a rose or a daisy or a dandelion. The weather comes and the flowers fall. It doesn't make any difference. Reliance upon the flesh is unstable. Human beauty and capability is frail and fading. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit moves in us, he moves upon us, and our flesh shrivels. We begin to realize that it's not, the, it's not me, it's not, it's not my erudition or my ability to understand the big words in the dictionary, my ability to communicate with them. We come to understand by the efforts of the flesh, we cannot improve ourselves. By the efforts of the flesh, beloved, you cannot improve yourself. And it turns out to be the lie of our present age. The word of God, his word of rebuke and pardon, his word of promise and steadfast love stands forever. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. We all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. Because God is not man, he does not lie. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? And so this voice here is one of, don't rely upon the flesh. That's fading. But rely upon God's every word, every, every word that comes forth out of the mouth of God. So the third voice is that of unswerving promise. Promises that are never shaken. Promises that God will fulfill completely and in the most wholesome way we could imagine. There's the last voice. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold your God. That's an exhortation to every one of us. We are Zion. We are the holy city. The holy city that will come down out of heaven in the last day in Revelation. 
where God dwells there and the light will always eternally be among us. And therefore, we, we need, we lift up our voice. Behold your God. Your God is magnificent. Your God is beautiful because he's a pardoning God. He is a God who prepares our hearts and changes our lives and transforms us. He's a God who makes promises to each and every one of us, never swerves from them. That's where our hearts need to settle. That's where they need to rest. And so we proclaim that. We proclaim that and we say, behold your God. But then there's more to the message. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. The Lord God comes with power in order to stand against the enemies of God's people, his enemies and ours. He will fight with them. He will destroy them. He will bring them all before the judgment seat and he will judge them according to his own holy righteousness. The good news is that of a great king who comes with power and who will not be thwarted, who will have the victory. And we already see that in Christ Jesus as he overcomes death, as he overcomes the grave, as he walks among the the disciples for 40 days after he is resurrected to life and then as he is ascended to the throne of heaven before their very eyes with the words, he's going to return just as he left. And their hearts were thrilled. The good news of not just a king, but a shepherd king. Verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll rule them. He'll defend them. He'll protect them. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. However much he may rebuke the nation, he deals tenderly with them. A rebuke is nothing compared to the judgment the nations face who do not know God. A rebuke is nothing. The Lord loves those whom he re- he, he rebukes those whom he loves. And so he tends his flock like a shepherd and he gathers the lamb, lambs in his arms. He holds them close. Every one of you, as you know the Lord, you know he holds you close. You know that you've been in circumstances where it was a close call and you realize God was watching over you. Or you're frustrated because you just couldn't get out on the road early enough and now you're 15 minutes later than you wanted to start and you realize that by that 15 minutes, you avoided an accident. So many ways in which the Lord watches over us. At the time, let me give you an example of this. When, when I was in college, I was working with, after I finished up my coursework, I was working in the trades in southern Illinois. So I was just doing construction work. And then it snowed, and they decided that they were just going to stop working for the next two months. I had no money. I had no money. That was my job. I mean, that was the only income that I had. I lived in a small apartment. I would walk to the front window and look out, see what the sky was doing, and then I'd walk through the apartment to the kitchen window and look out to see if the weather changed. And one day while I was fretting, There was a knock on the door. Three college students were standing there with a bunch of groceries and said, here, the Lord laid this on our heart 
you guys probably need some food. And so they, three college students who hardly had any money for themselves, they hand us bags of groceries. The Lord holds his children close to his bosom. He carries us. We are his lambs. He gently leads us. And that's the voice of tender love. Now we have to hear all of these voices together in a quartet. He pardons us always. He's transforming us always. He is, um, he is promising to us always. And he tenderly loves us always at all times. In this, we see our Lord Jesus Christ. We see him as he comes with that voice that says, your sins are forgiven. As he speaks with that voice that says, you'll be changed, you'll be my disciples, you'll follow after me. With that voice that says, even though this earth withers, God stands forever. Our Father's word never changes. And with that voice that says, I will care for you. Come to me and rest. Our God comes to us bringing us a shalom, a wholeness, a wholeness of understanding about ourselves and a wholeness of understanding about his saving work. And we see it all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Son. In fact, the glory of the Lord seen in us and through us. The glory of the Lord held before us to where we point to him and say, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and with tender love. Let's pray together.